Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd also like to welcome those of you at our Creekside service or um, North Udawa campus or our New Bridges service and um, St. Elmo and all of you that may be worshiping online. I'm so thankful that we now have 11 weekend worship services and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to be a part of one of those um, services today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here and I have the privilege today to share with you God's word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, you got a smartphone, you can open that app, the 2 Timothy as well. But this is just one of many passages that we will be studying here today. So I encourage you to go and take out these Bible study outlines that we have for you, and you'll find most of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today right here on this outline, and you can follow along and take notes. Now, we're in a series called Reasons to Believe, and we're in this series because we want to give you evidences for our faith. I mean, do we really believe what we say we believe around here? Is there really evidence for our faith? I mean, the fact is, is that a lot of us, what we do is we, we say we believe, but then we, we have these doubts. I mean, the fact is, is we call this year, the theme for our year, pressing on. And the reason why is because people don't press on in their faith. And a big reason why they don't do that is because, you know what, they start having these doubts. I don't know if I really believe this stuff anymore. And there's a simple truth, and it's this. Your heart cannot trust what your mind rejects. Does that make sense? Your heart can't trust in God if your mind rejects God in the scriptures. And so what we're doing is we're looking each week and trying to give you some evidences. Why do we believe what we believe? And today we're going to talk about how you can know you can trust the Bible. Or can you really trust the Bible? I mean, is this really God's word? Or is this just a book of myths? Is just this fairy tale, just a bunch of legend? Or is this really the word of God? Did you know that this about the Bible, that there's more people read the Bible than any other book? Did you know that there's more copies of the Bible? It's, it's the number one bestseller of all time. It's, it's printed in more languages than any other book. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we believe this is the word of God. In fact, it states that claim throughout the Bible. It claims to be the word of God. Let me show you one passage. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3 makes this amazing statement. He says this. All scripture is God-breathed, that means it's inspired, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, you may go, what does it mean that the Bible is God-breathed? What is that all about? Well, right now, you are hearing the breath of Tony Walliser, right? 
I mean, you know, we could not have speech. Basically, my breath goes across the, you know, the vocal cords and it produces sound. And you've seen people that talk. You could not talk without breath. Even though you probably know somebody that talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. You go, do they ever breathe? Yeah, they have to. They go, talk, 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 talk. And then they keep talking some more, right? Because you can't have words without breath. Well, the breath of God, as God spoke, what did he have? The scriptures. The scriptures are inspired. They're, they're God's word. This isn't just some, you know, good teaching or morals or, you know, ancient religious history. No, this is the very word of God. That's why we always teach the word of God here. That's why if you want to know God, will you get into his book? The book, the Bible is God's word. Now you may go, okay, well, it's awesome. The Bible claims to be the word of God, but how do we know it really is? I mean, there's a lot of things that claim to be true, right? You look on the internet, all these things, all these people claim that certain things are true, and you know that they're not true. So how do we know? The Bible claims to be the Word of God. How do we know this is the Word of God? Well, today what I want to do is I want to give you four evidences of how you can know and be assured that the Bible really is trustworthy. And I want you to jot them down in your outline. Number one is this. Number one, first of all, the Bible was written down by eyewitnesses. The Bible was written down by eyewitnesses. That whenever you read the Bible, you have a firsthand account of events that are happening here. And so most likely, if something's written down by an eyewitness, it's going to be pretty accurate, right? Now, you contrast that because a lot of people say, well, you know, the Bible's written down as sort of legend. It's sort of myth. Well, you know, how does legend and myth come about? Well, that typically is whenever something is written down second or third or fourth hand, or it happens 75 or 100 years later, then it's written down. No, the Bible's written down by eyewitnesses. Now, let me give you an example of a legend, all right? I mean, you know George Washington, our first president. Did you ever hear the story of whenever he was six years old, his dad gave him an ax? And he was just chopping down, chopping everything around. He chops down this cherry tree. His dad confronts him and say, hey, did you chop down this cherry tree? And, you know, he says, I cannot tell a lie. I'm the one that did it. How many of you have heard that story before, right? Or something like that, okay? We've, most of us heard that story. Well, historians will say this. That story was not written down until after Washington's death, about 10 years after his death. And so you go, it wasn't written down by eyewitnesses. It was written down 75 years after the event, and so historians will say, most likely, we're not sure if that event really happened or not, but most likely that is just legend, right? And so that's, that's how you distinguish legend versus authentic. The difference is firsthand. Well, here's the deal. The Bible was written down by firsthand observers. Moses saw the sea part. Joshua saw the walls of Jericho fall down. I mean, Samuel saw Goliath fall from David's, you know, slingshot and stone. The disciples saw Jesus. They heard his teaching, saw the miracles. They touched him, talked with him after the resurrection. What you have here is a firsthand account. That's what the Bible is. In fact, the gospel of Luke starts out that way. The the writer Luke wants us to understand that. Check it out. Look at what he said in Luke chapter 1 verse 2. He says, Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the first to write to you an orderly sequence. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And so the writer of Luke, Luke is saying, hey, I did eyewitness interviews. 
What, what's been passed on to you is by eyewitnesses. John saw it and he wrote the Gospel of John. Matthew saw it and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Mark is a reflection of what the Apostle Peter saw. Luke said, I have done firsthand interviews. This is eyewitness testimony. Well, you may go, okay, well, okay, so the Bible's written by eyewitnesses. But you know what? Sometimes eyewitnesses get it wrong, right? That maybe there's some mistakes. Well, here's the deal. God wants to make sure it didn't get wrong. And so the Bible says that overshadowing everything that was going on and all the writing of the scripture, it was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice how the apostle Peter says this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter testifies that he saw the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus transfigured. But then he says, you know what? I know that I'm an eyewitness, but you have something more certain than my eyewitness testimony. You go, what is that? Prophecy. Look at what he says. 2 Peter 1.19, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. You must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so the entire writing down process of the scriptures, it was, yes, eyewitnesses, but God said, I'm going to have all of it overshadowed so that what we have today is exactly what God wanted us to have today because it was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit itself. And so you have now written down the word of God to you. Now, you go, why is it so important that it was written down? Because things have more authority. It's more authoritative whenever it's written down, right? You know this. If somebody makes you a promise, what do you often say to them? Hey, uh, could you put that in writing, right? Why? Because you know that when something's written down, it has more authority. Well, God's made sure that his word is written down for us. Um, I once heard a story told by um, Pastor Robert Morris of a um, doctrinal student who was getting his dissertation, but he didn't like the doctrinal you know, process of it because you know, they said in the doc- dissertation, you can only use written sources. Well, he didn't like that. So in the middle of him, you know, speaking out his dissertation, he would say, I spoke to so-and-so and and they said this. And then he continues, and I spoke to so-and-so and and they said this. And the professor says, wait, 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 hang on now. According to this process, you're only allowed to quote written documents. You can't be quoting people like that. And you go, why? I mean, I, I heard them say it. Doesn't it have just the same authority? It doesn't have to be written down, does it? And, and the professor says, well, just continue. We'll talk about it later. And so he continues with the dissertation. A few weeks go by, the professor calls up the the doctrinal student. He says, okay, I just want you to know, you pass the test and you will be getting your PhD. But here's the deal. We're not giving it to you in writing. You just got to trust us. (laughs) Do you, you see? We want things written down. And God says, okay, I'm going to have firsthand testimony overshadowed by the Holy Spirit so that you have written down before you the very words of God. Make sense? I can trust the Bible. Why? Because it's written by firsthand testimony. There's a second reason why I can trust the Bible. And it's this, jot this down. The Bible is authenticated in history. The Bible is authenticated in history. See, the Bible's a very unique book. It's intertwined with events and history and people and places. It's not like Buddhism or Hinduism, where it's just these philosophies. It's not like Islam, where it's just a bunch of rules and laws. No, the Old Testament shows you the history of Israel. The New Testament shows you the history of Jesus Christ and the early church. And all those things were witnessed by actual events and time and place. 
I mean, whenever the Apostle Paul was arrested and he was in jail, he made his defense before a Roman um, leader, a king, that happened to be over Israel during the time of Christ. And this is what he said to him. Look at it in Acts chapter 26, verse 26. He says, For the king knows about these matters. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice since this was not done in a corner. He's saying, look, King Agrippa, you know this stuff. I mean, you were there. You heard all the stories about Jesus and the miracles that he did. You heard about his crucifixion. You've heard about his resurrection. You've heard about the growth of the church. This didn't happen in some corner. This happened in time and space, and you know all about it. And King Agrippa's like, uh, do you want me to become a Christian? And Paul says, absolutely, I want you to become a Christian. You see, history confirms the Bible. You see, here's the deal. If the Bible doesn't get history right, then how do you know it's getting the teachings of Jesus right? But if it does get the history right, then guess what? It confirms that most likely the miracles and teachings of Jesus are accurate as well. You go, well, how do we know that this book is, um, you know, historically accurate? Well, here's the deal. This book is the most studied and scrutinized book in human history. Secular scholars have tried to disprove this book throughout the centuries. And so how do they do that? Well, they figure, okay, we can do archaeological studies and somehow we can, you know, disprove the Bible in one way or another. But you know what they've done? After all hundreds of years of archaeological studies, what they've dis- discovered is that it actually proves the Bible is true. In fact, jot this on your outline. I'll give you an amazing statistic. Here it is. There are over 25,000 archaeological sites that prove some detail of the Bible. 25,000 archaeological sites that prove one detail or another of the Bible. Now, I don't, we don't have time to go over all 2,500. Let, let me just give you some big ones, okay? Let's talk about, in the book of Genesis, it talks about the Hittite civilization. For centuries, secular scholars would say, ah, oh, that's just a biblical myth. There were no Hittites. That's just a made-up group of people. But then they were doing archaeological, you know, dig, and they dig up this city, and it happens to be the capital of the Hittite Empire, and they see these tablets, and, and they are this military, mighty nation, just like it says in the Bible. Another example, you know, for years, secular scholars would say, well, the Israelites in Egypt, you know, as slaves, that's not true, right? And then they happen to notice in Ramses the second tomb, this picture of Ramses about to kill a Hebrew slave. And then they find these parchments that have the names of slaves with Hebrew names like Issachar and Asher. I mean, I've been to Palestine. I've toured Greece. I have looked at all these different sites. I've seen hundreds of examples that you just dig open the rocks. You see the the things before you. It confirms exactly what the Bible says. In fact, the book of Acts is confirmed over and over again. Now, let me give you one example of a guy that tried to disprove the Bible. His name was um, Sir William Ramsey. He's a famous archaeologist. He was on Time magazine. He, um, he has nine doctorate degrees. He did not believe the Bible. And he wanted to disprove the Bible. And so what he decided to do, he said, this is what I can do. If I can disprove the historicity of the book of Acts, then the whole New Testament falls apart. And so for years, he went on dozens of archaeological sites in Asia Minor and Greece looking to disprove the book of Acts. And finally, after several years of in-depth study, he came to this conclusion. Look at what he says. Quote, I regard Luke as the greatest historian who's ever lived. Now, that's a crazy comment, isn't it? This guy, he wanted to disprove the Bible. But you know what eventually happened? 
He's like, you know what? If Luke was so accurate in writing the book of Acts, then he had to be just as accurate whenever he wrote the gospel of Luke. And if the gospel of Luke is true, then Jesus Christ really is the Messiah. And Sir William Ramsey came to a place of faith and surrender to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the archaeology proves that the history of the Bible has been true. The reason why you can trust the Bible is because the history has been authenticated. But there's a third reason why you can trust the Bible. Jot this down. Number three is this. The Bible is accurate prophetically. The Bible is accurate prophetically. I believe this is the the most powerful evidence of how you can know that the Bible is God's word. Why? Because the Bible makes predictions that have come true. Let me just tell you something. There is no other book in the world that's ever been written that has prophecies that have come true. Doesn't exist. The Bible alone. In fact, if somebody came to me, put a gun to my head and said, Pastor Tony, give me one evidence where you know like you know like you know that the Bible's true, I would say fulfilled prophecy. Why? Because there's no other book that has prophecy that's been fulfilled. And yet, there's been over, in the Old Testament, over 2,000 documented, you know, evidences, prophecies that have been fulfilled over time. In the New Testament, in Jesus' words, have been fulfilled as well. I mean, I know that there are some people out there, they're, you know, psychics or, you know, you know, spiritualists like Nostradamus or other people, they go, well, you know, they, they come up with these prophecies. Well, they're so vague that they can refer to anything. A psychic will say, you're going to meet a tall, dark stranger. Well, guess what? We all meet tall, dark strangers every day. I mean, it's, it's so, you know, subjective. Nobody can really tell. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is very specific in its prophecies. Let me give you some examples, okay? Um, let's just say... In the Old Testament, you have the prophet Isaiah, the largest prophecy. He makes a prediction that the nation of Israel is going to be taken into captivity. Then, eventually, they're going to be released from captivity, be able to come back to Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. And then, the prophet tells you the name of the future king that's going to allow them to do that. His name is going to be Cyrus. Check it out. Look at it. It's found in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Cyrus. He is my servant, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Now, think about this. 150 years in advance. It'd be like me today predicting who's going to be the president of the United States in 150 years, and it comes true. That's exactly what he does. All the predictions come exactly true as Isaiah predicted. The prophet Micah predicted 700 years in advance that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. King David wrote Psalm 22, predicting that the Messiah would be crucified. Look at what he wrote. Psalm 22, verse 16. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Think about that. That was written a thousand years before Jesus came. That was written 500 years before crucifixion was even a known means of execution. Read the prophet Daniel. 500 years before the coming of Jesus, Daniel makes a prophecy. He says, this is what the future kingdoms are going to look like. There's going to be this, um, this one ruler who's going to overtake the known world. And then suddenly he's going to be cut off. And then his kingdom is going to be replaced by four. And those four are going to become two. And then you're going to have one nation that's going to overtake them. And then the Messiah is going to come. And you know what? If you look at history, sure enough, historically, 300 BC, you have, you ever heard of Alexander the Great? He conquered the known world. And then he died suddenly, age 32, His kingdom was taken over by his four generals, 
Those four generals were then, you know, made into two kingdoms. It's called the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic empires. And then they were conquered by the Romans and then the Messiah came. Exactly as Daniel had prophesied 500 years earlier. Now, secular scholars will see that and they go, well, there's no way that could really happen in the Bible. And so what they conjecture is, they say, oh, you know what? Probably after those events happen, they probably wrote it in later on. But then we have this little discovery called, you ever hear the Dead Sea Scrolls? And they discover these Dead Sea Scrolls and they are older than, than those events that Daniel prophesied. And sure enough, there it is, exactly as Daniel had predicted. Do, do you understand no other book in history has fulfilled prophecies. This book alone. Hey, let me give you a study that was done. I've, I've shared this study with you before. It was done by Dr. Peter Stoner, Professor Emeritus of Science at Westmont um, College in California. He decided that he was going to do a probability study of what are the probabilities of one man fulfilling the messianic prophecies. There's 50, 53 messianic prophecies. And they started the task. He had 600 students that he put on this project and they realized it was too large of a task. They couldn't do all 53 prophecies. And they go, well, let's just do eight that we can confirm that Jesus fulfilled, okay? And so they start, you know, doing the research. They start, okay, okay, he was born in Bethlehem. What are the odds based on the, you know, human population in the first century? And okay, his parents didn't live there but had to move there. And they said the odds were about one in 300,000 that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And they did that with eight different prophecies that they could, you know, clarify that Jesus Christ fulfilled. After they did all the study, and it was, you know, years-long studies, they submitted what they found, the calcul calculation, submitted it and verified by the American Scientific Affiliation. And this is what they discovered. Here's their, their result. Quote, we find that the chance that any man might have fulfilled eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, that's a big number, by the way. If I put it up on the screen, what is that number? It is a one with 18 zeros behind it. I can't even tell you what that number is. It's an astronomical number. And they're saying that the odds of one man fulfilling just eight, not all 53, which Jesus did, just eight of those prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, you know what the odds are, right? Like I have here, I got 10 pieces of paper, and one of them has a mark on it. And I take these and I, I mix them up and I sort of put them in here and I turn them around and I close my eyes and I reach in, I pull one out. Well, I got one in 10 odds that I could have picked out the X, right? I better not play the lottery. I'm not very good at this, right? That's one in 10 odds, right? What are the odds that one man would fulfill just eight of the Messianic prophecies? One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, for us to comprehend this, they came up with an illustration to help us grasp how big a number that is. They said, imagine that you take a silver dollar and you go to the state of Texas and you cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars. And you cover them side by side, right next to each other, over the entire state of Texas. And then you take a second layer of silver dollars and lay it on top of that layer. And then you take a third layer and lay it on top of that layer. And you continue all the way over all the state of Texas till it gets to two feet tall. And then you have one of those silver dollars that has a mark on it. And it's hidden among all the others. 
And then you blindfold somebody and you say, search throughout Texas, reach in, grab the one. They said the odds for you to do that will be one in 10 to the 17th power. Do you understand how impossible that is? Do you grasp how unique the Bible is? The Bible gives prophecies that are fulfilled, not just one, not just two, hundreds. And Jesus Christ fulfilled them. You see, there is no other book like this book. The reason why you can trust the Bible, because the Bible alone has fulfilled prophecies. But there's a fourth reason why you can trust the Bible as God's word. Jot this down. Number four is this. The Bible is affirmed by Jesus. The Bible has been affirmed by Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus quotes from three-fourths of the books of the Old Testament? Jesus calls the Bible scriptures, which means inspired writings. When Jesus was tempted, he would quote scriptures. He would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus trusted the Bible, and he tells us that we can trust the Bible. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass away from the law until it's all been accomplished or fulfilled. Jesus said every detail of the Bible is going to be fulfilled just as it is written. I mean, Jesus says, I trust even the punctuation in the Bible. It's going to last till heaven and earth pass away. Now, I know that through the years, people, you know, scoffed at certain stories in the Bible and they'll say, you know, do you really believe there was a literal Adam and Eve? Well, according to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus did. Jesus said from the beginning, God created the male and female. Well, do, do you really believe there was a Daniel in a lion's den? Well, according to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus did. Do you really believe there was a, a Jonah who was swallowed by a fish? Well, according to Matthew 12, Jesus did. Do, do you really believe there was a Noah and a flood and an ark? Well, according to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus did. And guess what? If Jesus believes it, I'll believe it. Who are we? We are so arrogant thinking that the word of God is under us. No, we are under the word of God. See, we need to understand this is God's word to us. It's true and it will remain true until the very end. You've probably heard French philosopher Voltaire. And Voltaire couldn't stand the Bible. And he wrote a number of pamphlets against the Bible. And um, he made a prediction in one of his pamphlets. Look at this prediction. He said this. A hundred years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Well, he died. And you've probably forgotten all about Voltaire until I brought him up, right? But here's the deal. After he died, the French Bible Society purchased his house. And for the next hundred years, they sold Bibles out of Voltaire's house to prove that he would be wrong. See, Voltaire's long gone, but the Bible still stands. Do you understand the Bible is God's word? But listen, it's God's love letter to you. It is in the Bible that you discover how to have a relationship with God, how to live a life of meaning and purpose. And see, the fact is, is that what you believe determines how you behave. And if you don't like the way that you're living and behaving, it's probably because you're believing something incorrectly. I mean, as a pastor, I spend a lot of my time just helping people unwind the, the lies that they have believed from this world. You see, our world is very confused. Our world has rejected the word of God. They don't want a God. They want to be their own God. They want to make up their own plans. And so what do they do? They reject the word of God and, you know, make up their own plan. 
And it always leads to death. But Jesus said, if you'll trust me, if you believe in me, if you'll follow my word, it will lead to prosperity in your life. Look at how Jesus put this in John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, some of you here today, your life is all tangled up with a lot of lies from this world, but you need to know Jesus Christ has come to set you free. But you gotta believe him, you gotta trust him. Do you know, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. And Jesus says, what you've gotta do is you gotta start trusting in me. Believe, what you believe determines your behavior. Now, there, there's another evidence I put, in, put on your outline, but one of the reasons, other reasons why I believe the Bible is God's word is just the way it was all put together. I mean, think about this. The Bible was written, 66 books, was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. You had different men, whether fishermen or soldiers or physicians, kings, scribes, prophets, farmers, slaves, all these different people, all different walks of life, all of them wrote different books in the Bible, and yet the Bible has a central theme that is weaved all the way through it. And what is that central theme? It's Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it all foreshadowed Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled every foreshadowing. In fact, the entire Bible points about to Jesus Christ. And now Jesus put this. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The, the Old Testament anticipated Jesus. The New Testament announced Jesus. The Old Testament predicted Jesus. The New Testament, per, you know, proclaims Jesus. It's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You go, well, what's the main message of the Bible? Let me summarize it for you. We call it the gospel. It's pretty clear. God created you. <clears throat> God has a love for you. But what did we do? We rebel against God. We want to be our own God. We want to be independent. We want to go our own way. We don't want to follow God. We don't follow his rules. We want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. And so we rebel against God. And our rebellion has always led to what? The Bible says death. It leads to depression. It leads to destruction. It leads to, you know, a life that's not fulfilled. And so what does God do? God sees the brokenness of the world and he does the unthinkable. God sends his only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes into our brokenness. And what does he do? He lives the perfect life that you and I can never live. And then he dies the death that we all deserve. He dies on the cross for our sins. And to prove it, God raised him up from the dead. And if you will believe in the word of God and in Jesus Christ and call on Jesus Christ to be Lord, God says, I will forgive you and give you new life. You go, man, that's a big leap of faith. It's not really a leap. It's a step, yes. But there are evidences for you to take that step. In fact, what I'd like to do is I want to close by giving you seven questions to ponder. Seven questions to ponder about God's word and prophecy and how Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecy. I want you to notice these seven. I'm going to put them up on the screen. First question. How did Jesus arrange to be born in this specific family? The Bible predicts that the Messiah has to be born in the lineage of David. How did Jesus do that? Second question. How did Jesus arrange to be born in a specific city in which his parents didn't live? Called Bethlehem. How did that happen? Third question. 
How did Jesus arrange for his own death by crucifixion with two criminals, the way the Bible predicted? Fourth question, how did Jesus arrange to have his executioners gamble for his clothing the way the Bible predicted? How did Jesus arrange to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and then be crucified on the exact day the Jews would sacrifice the spotless lamb for their sins? Next question, how did Jesus arrange to have the executioners break the legs of those crucified on each side of him, but not his legs in fulfillment of Scripture? And then the final question, how did Jesus arrange to come back to life on the exact day that he predicted that he would? Now, the answer is pretty simple, isn't it? Well, Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies because he is the Son of God. Amen. He is the very one that all of Scripture pointed to. You see, the written word points to the living word, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that once you know these facts, you've got to make a decision. Either you're going to be your own God and reap the consequences, or you're going to say, Jesus, I surrender all, my Lord and my God. Today, make that decision. Why? Because you can trust the word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a fulfillment of the word. Lord, you know every person here, and I'm praying in the name and authority of Jesus Christ that you would break through the hardness of our heart, the distractions of this world, and Lord Jesus, we would truly follow you as we should. Lord, we commit this time to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.